As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences Each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Believe. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by TV reporter and host for Bally Sports West, Carlin Baith. Carlin talks about letting go of perfection, not being afraid to ask questions, being the first female in-game broadcaster for EA Sports NHL 21 and 22, and so much more. This is a really fun episode, so let's get to it. Carlin, thank you so much for joining me on Get My Job. I've honestly wanted to have you on since we sat with each other at a mutual friend's wedding. Taylor Felix McAllister, who's actually been on this podcast, who was a fangirl. So very excited to have you on today. Shout out to Taylor. Oh my goodness. My girl. I miss her. She's just thriving right now, living her best mama life. But yeah, how funny. She put us at the same table together. And you know, you always kind of wonder how those wedding matchups happen. And she had a plan. She knew, hey, mm -hmm. girls, they work in the same biz. They'll hit it off. And sure enough, we did. And it's nice to reconnect with you, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I want to jump right in and talk about your professional journey. You're doing so many exciting things right now. So I would love for you to just take us a little bit through how you got to where you are today, and then we'll dive into all of that. 
It's such a long story. I feel like nobody's got the short version, right? But we try to do our best here. So here I go. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm originally from Maine over on the other side of the country, right? I grew up there, born and raised, and most of my family still lives over there. But I moved to California when I was 19 years old. I had no idea I wanted to get into sports broadcasting specifically, but I had started on the LA Kings ice crew and shoveled snow for five seasons and did like, oh my God, it was so much fun. It's still like one of the most fun jobs to this day. Um, Shoveled snow, five seasons, and just kind of got a taste of that world. And at my very first audition, I saw a woman named Heidi Andrel who was interviewing ice crew hopefuls, you could call us. Okay. And making features just surrounding the team, surrounding the ice crew, surrounding the game. And I was thinking, what in the world? There's a a woman making cool content and reporting on sports. This is so cool. And that was kind of my first taste of that world. And I had it in my head ever since then. This is something I want to work towards. So after those five seasons, I had some really great support over at the Kings in different departments. Um, I had, you know, Mike Altieri over on the communication side, Brooklyn Boyers and Danny Zollers over on the game entertainment side. And they had this digital platform called Kings Vision. I got to dip my toe in the digital content creation world. I got to do some in arena hosting for about three seasons after the ice crew left for a brief moment in time to go to a great opportunity at Fox Sports 1 while they were expanding their digital presence and reported on some WWE, some NHL, and some UFC. Then got an even cooler opportunity. Well, I wouldn't even say even cooler, but then just piled on, got another opportunity, <laughs> another um, cool opportunity with, uh, at the time, Fox Sports West, now Bally Sports West, where Andrea McPhee from their marketing department had literally like reached out and just threw a fishing line and was like, Hey, um, would you be interested in coming over here with us? And we worked on a platform called Extra Point. And from there, that digital platform grew. I became established within that network and fell into my role with now covering the Kings, hosting and reporting, and a little bit of Angels baseball too. So it was like a full circle Kings thing where I never felt like I left the Kings. That's so funny. And then going back to Taylor Felix real quick, that's how we had met. We were co-hosting on Extra Point together and it was just such a, a great, great time and a great opportunity. So that's the short of it. And then of course, you know, Tracy, all the other stuff that you don't get to say is just like between the the lines there of just like the work the classes, the struggles, the triumphs, like there's just so much in between. There is so much in between. And I'm very glad that you brought that up because I think oftentimes people see someone on TV, online and think, wow, she's an overnight. There she is. She just ended. There's so (laughs) much that goes in between. And really for you, you got your start with the king shoveling the ice. And that really (laughs) says so much. It really really does. And and let's talk a little bit this world about this world of the NHL because it's been obviously you've done some angels, you've done some really cool things with EA Sports which I want to talk about in a little bit. But NHL and the Kings have kind of been your wheelhouse and so did was the NHL kind of your favorite growing up. You said you're from the East Coast. So for those of us West Coasters, 
we're not as exposed to hockey, even though we have the Kings and the Ducks and no disrespect and everybody loves them. And I don't want anyone to get mad at me, but it's still, it's <laughs> Lay still off, a little Tracy, bit different. All right. <laughs> I know, people get, people get mad at me, but, but I'm just wondering like, cause you know, for me, I grew up loving football and loving baseball. Those were the two things, my two favorite sports that I loved more than anything. So I'm just wondering, did you grow up loving hockey? Yes. So I'm aware I'm talking to the biggest 49ers girl in the world right here, right now. So think of how much you love that world. And that's exactly how I felt about hockey at such a young age. And my father used to play in the NHL. He played for the Philadelphia Flyers and the Detroit Red Wings. And um, one of my older brothers came up in the system and was signed to the Coyotes and the Nashville Predators and stayed in the minor leagues, but still you have to work your tail off just as much to even get there. And they kind of instilled that love of hockey they, they instilled that in me at a really young age. And I can't remember a time where I wasn't skating. I never like can think of a time where I was like, oh yeah, I didn't know how to skate that. I just feel like I've always known how to skate, which mm-hmm. then transitioned to me always um, playing hockey as well. So I've played since I was very little. I still play badly, but not well. <laughs> I'm older. I don't want to hurt my back. Fair. And, you know, those things come into play now, but that's how my love for hockey started. And you're right, though, about the exposure. I was exposed to more hockey living on the East Coast, you know, going to Bruins games. You know, my earliest exposure to hockey that I can really remember is the Portland Pirates, which was a team from the town next door to me, winning the Calder Cup. And that just really secured that love of hockey. And my dad, when he played, it was in the 70s and the 80s. And I was born in the late 80s and did not get to experience like my brothers did going to the rink, being up at the glass, you know, watching his games. So mine was kind of all after that era and just Mm -hmm. to fall in love with it in my own way and playing it, watching the Pirates. My dad worked for the Pirates a little bit at the time as well. My brother playing. Um, I've got four brothers. We, in fact, all played, but that. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. He got to that that high level of hockey um, and played in the minor leagues. And it was just so infectious. But the level of exposure we were talking about, it, it differs between the East Coast and the West Coast. So on the East Coast, I grew up with so much exposure. It was almost overwhelming, right? And mm-hmm. then over on the West Coast, I would say in the time that I've been here, I moved here in 2007. It's just exploded because of the Kings and the Ducks. Yeah we may not have had that same exposure like how you had with football growing up and how you were just completely obsessed in love and whatnot. We had the Patriots a little bit further away from where I was in Maine though, but you know, we had that. But hockey just kind of dominated the scene. And yeah, it, it just always had me thinking about it from an athlete's perspective though. So going back to me seeing Heidi in that role once I had gotten to LA and had those auditions for the Kings ice crew, I was always looking at it like an athlete, like, wow, if I work my my tail off hard enough, maybe I can be like Cami Granado. Maybe I can go to the Olympics one day. Like, that's where my brain was. Right. Which makes sense. I just didn't think like, yeah, women can just like come in and dominate the sports broadcasting scene. I just thought like, oh, those are the guys my dad likes to listen to when we watch games together. Like, I just couldn't compute, could not process yet that that was a possibility. And it's because of people like Heidi, they open the door and I'm like, whoa. I'm coming in. This is cool. That is awesome. And then when it came to the Angels, I know that that was a little bit different for you. And baseball 
was a little bit different and there was a little bit more of a learning curve. How yes. did you make that transition, add that to your repertoire and you know, get to a place where you felt really comfortable? So for those who are listening to me for the very first time, I did not grow up knowing baseball, loving baseball in the same way that some baseball reporters have. Mm -hmm. And it was a learned skill that I picked up later in life. And you almost have to approach it like you're studying for a class or you are, you know, about to take a course in something that you're not completely skilled in. Like maybe you're, maybe you're great at working on cars, but you got to go take a culinary class to add it to your, you know, mm -hmm. your undergrad or whatever. So it kind of felt like that to me where it was just so, uh, not in my wheelhouse, but that just means you just have to approach it in a different way. So my approach changed where with hockey, there's less, I, I would say less um, investigation that I have to do. There's just things that I grew up innately knowing. You know, I know the game so well. I know the verbiage so well. I know the history, the players. There's not as much that I have to look up in terms of pronunciations. There's nothing that I have to like double, triple, quadruple check just because I've absorbed it my whole life. With baseball, there's a lot of double, triple, quadruple checking. And sometimes I feel like my reports can be even stronger because I've had to research so much more to make sure I'm saying the right things. And I, I, I am so thankful for how supportive people are in the world of baseball. I'm able to text Kent French. I'm able to text Patrick O'Neill or Mark Gubaza and the reporter I, I fill in for, um, Erica Weston, even her, we're talking back and forth about, you know, different players, different questions to ask, different things they're, they're able to talk about. It's just so supportive in that world. And that has helped so darn much. But the approach is really the biggest difference where hockey, it's, it's, I consider it my first language. So it just feels so natural to dive in, get caught up on the news, watch, watch the latest games, you know, see the mm -hmm. highlights. It's easy. It's effortless. And it's still hard work, but it feels natural. And with baseball, there's an unnatural, um, a, a balance to it, but I just work just really like quadruple, quadruple the times is hard and it ends up balancing itself out. So you talked about people that have been really helpful to you and, and really supportive, which is awesome and so important really in any industry, but in this industry, especially because we really do all need to help each other out. What tips do you have for building those types of relationships? And then further kind of building relationships with the athletes you cover. So in terms of other colleagues, building relationships, um, you need to not be scared and never undercut yourself or sell yourself short. So if you're in this business, you know, you're on an even playing field, whether you're in the production truck, you know, cutting graphics for the game that night, or you are a PA on set, or if you're an executive producer, you need to all talk to one another like you are that one big happy family that's at work. And that's that's like absolutely how I approach my job. It's just acting like we are one big happy family and making sure that I'm accessible. And, you know, that's kind of what I hope for in return from any colleague that I'm talking to. But not having fear and not undercutting yourself and your talents is something that helps in those situations. Because if you kind of 
second guess and think like, oh, why would I ask them that? They're going to think I'm silly or don't know what I'm talking about. No, ask questions, be bold, get your answers, mm-hmm. be helpful. Like it, it just, you have to, or else you're just going to go through your job. I don't know, maybe not knowing as much as you could know. And it's, it doesn't mean that you're not prepared. That's part of preparation. Asking Absolutely. questions is a part of the homework. And I think a lot of times people look at it like a, a weakness, like, oh, I shouldn't have to ask that. No, ask away and it'll help you. And then on the player side of things, establishing those relationships, there's more of a hurdle there because each team has a different uh, comfort level with how mm-hmm. you can establish those player relationships. You know, maybe some public relations teams are fine with a reporter having direct contact with the coach. Maybe somebody is fine with a reporter reaching out to a player's family to get extra intel because they have a relationship there. Sometimes though, teams want you to go through them for everything. So there's more of, I wouldn't say a barrier or a hurdle, but there's just that extra layer Mm -hmm. of how you can access and talk to these players. So I rely heavily on our PR team over at the Kings, for instance, if I need Intel on a player and especially with the pandemic, it was so much harder to keep these relationships with them because Tracy, you know, if you're at training camp, if you're on boots on the ground at the field, able to chat and talk to these players, that's where you get the most info. That's Mm -hmm. where you keep your relationships up with them. The pandemic kind of threw a curveball and all that because before we'd be able to go into the locker room after a morning skate on a practice day, get to know these guys outside of a scrum and really talk about their playing style, what's working, what's not, their families, even just the little stuff of, you know, oh my gosh, your kid just had a birthday. Like, how was that? The things that don't have to do with hockey all just help in those building blocks and and keeping up with those relationships. It's like housekeeping. And the pandemic made that so much harder with our Zoom calls. Then once it got back to in-person, it was all kind of press conference style where you really don't mm-hmm. have those one-on-one moments yet. So maintaining during these last couple of seasons, PR has been super helpful. And moving forward, I hope we get back to those moments where uh, a practice or a morning skate inside the locker room is the most beneficial time for us as reporters and hosts, for sure. And same with the Angels. If and We're allowed in the clubhouse and we're allowed to kind of bounce around and ask different players questions and things. And that's really where that relationship building starts. And I rely heavily on their PR staff as well. You know, they are boots on the ground every day, even in the behind the scenes areas that we're not allowed in. So for them to be able to share things with us and pick up stories from them. It's just so beneficial all around. And that's, that's good, you know, information as well. You want to have these great relationships with the PR staffs, with the people you cover with your colleagues. And it does come from asking questions and being respectful and, and all of those things. And I want to go back to something you said earlier about asking questions and how that's part of your preparation. And that's very true of your colleagues. And I guess another way to look at it is when we're talking to athletes and coaches, we have to ask them questions and it's part of our preparation. Right. And it really should be no different with the other people we're working with. Right. Exactly. No, you, you nailed it there. It's, it really should be no different. And I think, I don't know where it starts. I don't know if you can pinpoint it or where, where it really starts, but I feel like there's this just general fear of 
if I have to ask a question, that means I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know where that got instilled. Maybe it's just in my head. I don't know if you can relate, Tracy, but it just seems like this thing where we're supposed to know it all. And if we don't, we're bad at our jobs. And I, I it could be my own internal dialogue because I've got this got this like perfectionist thing in my head that haunts me sometimes and probably doesn't do me any justice when uh, I need to be more outgoing and ask things. But it just it's just been this narrative sometimes that I have to break beyond and break through and remember that I'm human. They're human. This mm-hmm. is how I learn. This is how they'll learn. What's the harm in asking a question? So I don't know where that narrative comes from, but it exists sometimes. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. With training camp right around the corner, Bet Online has opened up odds for team wins, division futures, and of course, the Super Bowl. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online, where the game starts. I think it comes a little bit uh, from being a woman in the industry because I know for me, when I'm on a television show, I'm on a podcast, I'm on a radio show, I feel that I need to be extra prepared because if I say a name wrong, or a stat wrong, it becomes the girl doesn't know what she's talking about. And I think there may be a little of that ingrained in us. And that may be where it comes from. That's totally speculation and a guess. But the reality is we are all human. We don't, nobody knows everything. I mean, that would be basically impossible. Nobody knows that <laughs> people need to ask questions to learn. And that's how we learn. So I think I'm really just glad that you've talked about it because I think it's an important thing for all of us to remember that it's okay not to be perfect because none of us are perfect. And honestly, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be particularly relatable or interesting if we were. And even though say you say every name, right? Someone will still say something. I absolutely. Tracy, this just happened to me on Twitter where somebody made a list I won't give this person too much of a a platform right now because that's not what I'm here to do because trolls are trolls, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're a troll, all the trolls listening out there, at least be correct, right? Uh That's rule number one. And this person made a list of all of the hockey reporters that they don't like. And I was one of them. And people were like, why don't... Of course, asking, you know, because they're all these great, amazing people. They're like, why don't you like this person? Why don't you like this person? Someone asked about me and they said, because she routinely mispronounces names wrong. And I flat out was like, I don't think I ever have. Oh, and I'm sure I, you have not. There's no I, doubt in my mind you haven't. <laughs> but like, if I have even thought about it, I haven't said it. Like, if I have been questionable, like, I'm not sure how to say that, I won't say it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, in my own head thinking, because I'm sure you see in your mentions, no matter what, you could be having uh, the best show possible. Someone will always have something to say. I challenged this person, which I rarely do. I challenged this person. I go, find me a clip. Go ahead. Like all of my stuff is public. You can Google every single interview I've ever done. We repost them after we're done on the broadcast. They're on Facebook. They're on the the Valley Sports Twitter. They're everywhere. I was like, if you're going to say it, 
mm-hmm. find me one. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't. And it was just like, no matter what, even if all is going right in the world, even if you over prepare, even if you nail everything you're doing, somebody somewhere will still have a problem with it. And it's just like, you got to let it go. But still a little bit of that doubt always has this like dark underbelly layer inside of my brain where I'm just like, I got to shut it off. But it, I, I think that's why it's always there. Because no matter what, like you're saying, you prepare for an interview, you want to be so on point, say everything right. And even when you nail it, somebody's there to be like, nah, she didn't. And it's like, what? <laughs> well, and that's why it's so important for us to have confidence in our work and our abilities on our own. Because especially in this yes. world of social media, there will always be somebody. Always. It's just, it's just unfortunately the the nature of the beast, so to speak. And social media has some really awesome benefits to it, but it also has that dark side. And so there's such an importance in having confidence in your preparation, in your work, and the rest of it, just putting it aside because it really doesn't mean anything. 100%. 100%. With that kind of in mind, though, when you were early in your career, was there a criticism or a piece of advice you were given that has really helped you today? Constructive criticism, that is. Honestly, there there's a bunch. There's just so many different things that people have said to me over the years, and a lot of them conflict with one another. Mm-hmm. You know, it at the end of the day, some of our job is subjective. If you put the facts aside, a lot of what people want from you on a broadcast, it could be the producer's wants and needs. Um, You could be doing something in a way where maybe the social media person wanted it a different way. There's Mm -hmm. always this like tug and pull in different directions. So you kind of have to pick from the melting pot of things that have been told to you over the years while also sticking true to yourself. There's things I can't change, like the sound of my voice. I mean, the first time that people heard me live in arena, I think I got a couple of tweets where people were like, what in the world? Like her voice, she sounds like a 13 year old boy. Like it was kind of jarring to see like instantaneous reactions to something that I had just done. So that was my first taste of like, whoa, I went, I was live and people, some people liked it. Some people had something to say. So like in those moments, I'm like, okay, number one, I can't change my voice. Did I take voice lessons with an amazing voice coach named Patrick Munoz to try and have some uh, deepness to my tone? Maybe. Yes, I did. (laughs) I did try to work on it. So I wasn't maybe screeching on the microphone. So there's things where like, okay, I heard what you said. I'm going to take my own uh, grain of salt from it and see what I can improve on because maybe I do need to change a little bit. And then as time moves on, I've had opinions where somebody's told me to go back and don't talk to them until I've gotten a bachelor degree. And I'm like, wait a minute. I have gone to community college three different times twice at Pierce College and once at Southern Maine Community College back at home. And I've taken journalism specific courses and just really kind of dialed in my own education and tailored it to what I wanted. And then I also took four years of classes at the Groundling School for Improv Comedy, which honestly benefited me more than any in-person college class that I've ever taken. And there was a person who just that didn't cut it for them. They 
they said bachelor's degree, then that was it. Like that was where you start with them. Like, don't even talk to me until you have that. And I kind of thought like, okay, do I listen to that person? Mm -hmm. And if I had, maybe I'd be four years behind where I am right now. Mm -hmm. Would it have helped me in a different way? I'm not sure. But that was one of those pieces of advice that I had to just take and know I'm well equipped. I need that chance for somebody to just hand me the microphone. And I promise it'll pay off for all of us. But <laughs> it's it was a really big gamble for me. And in terms of the good advice, I mean, I've gotten good advice from directors on how to stand best in front of the camera, you know, mm-hmm. when to, uh, you know, look down, look away, look at the player, angle myself, look like they're talking to me over here, stand behind the camera over there. Those are all really good constructive criticism pieces you should be taking, especially if they're coming from somebody who's been in the biz, you know, twice as long, somebody who's a mainstay on whatever show that you're working on. Clearly they're there for a reason. So I listen to those people who are, um, in that realm, like, especially within my network, I'm, I'm, I'm contracted by Valley. I want to perform the best I can for these people. Um, and so I listen to all of those kind of artistic critiques when it comes to my personality and, um, my cup of tea and what I like to be, it's not everybody's cup of tea. And I kind of have to toe that line where I can't be so bubbly off the walls out of control because I'm a professional working in this biz. I need to be able to do both and stay true to myself. So there's been times where, you know, people, need me to say something a certain way. And I listen and I do it because I understand how kind of bubbly off the rails Mm -hmm. I can be and when I need to be professional. So it's reading the room. It's knowing what's needed on a certain broadcast or in a certain feature and not being afraid to take that criticism. Um, And then the criticisms too. I was listening to your podcast with Joy Taylor. It's like, I think she said something along the lines of if if it's not something that you like respect or would listen to in real life, don't take it. Don't listen to it. Mm -hmm. So that's where the internet comes into play. If somebody's got a critique about something that maybe my mom wouldn't say, you know, Mm -hmm. am I going to listen to him? Probably not. Well, and I think that's, that's really important. And you mentioned reading the room, which I think is so important as well in any industry. And it's such an important skill. And so I'm glad you brought that up. And the reality is you you should not change who you are. You're wonderful. Right. That's why you're doing a great job. But there's a difference between knowing, all right, this broadcast needs this and this broadcast needs that and reading a room. But but you are who you are. And when Joy said that, that's so true. And I'm glad that you listened to that and took that in. If it's not something that you would respect or listen to in real life, then you just got to brush it off because everybody's going to have an opinion. And, Everybody. And it makes me think it's interesting, the thing with your voice, because you are a voice in EA Sports, so I'd love for you to talk a little <laughs> about that. And so it's, I kind of want to find that person and be like, ha, 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 look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Great transition, Tracy. That's why you're a pro. <laughs> Thank you. That. Thank you. Oh, my. Yeah. So that's so funny. Like, you bring that up for somebody to have said something about my voice and what they don't like about it, to be able to use my voice now and have that be something that my career centers around. I'm real proud of that. It's, Mm -hmm. it kind of should be a message to other people. If there's a perceived flaw about yourself, lean into it, make that your thing. My voice is now my thing in a video game. 
until the end of time. That's until amazing. video games stop being video games. What, what is the video game? It is NHL 22 currently. That's our, our current season right now. And I'm became their first female broadcaster in the game. And it's something I'm so proud of. It's something that it was an element that they wanted to add to the game. They have two main broadcasters, um, James Sabalski and Ray Ferraro, and they do play by play and Ray does analysis. And that female voice was something they were adamant about adding. My husband knows their producer, his name, we, his nickname's Rammer. That's what we call him. Uh-huh. My husband's nickname is Hammer. So Hammer and Rammer. That's and they, um, Rammer, I'd let him know, we're looking to expand on this. This is a role that might fit for your wife. If this is something she wants to submit for, let's hear what she's got. And I recorded a sample of something that I um, actually had done in game. I think it was a report on Adrian Kempe and they loved it. They, they, ended up choosing me and we recorded for uh, NHL 21 and NHL 22. And you can hear me performing basically the role that I have with the Kings in more of an in-depth rinkside reporter fashion, providing in-game analysis and updating players on their X-Factor abilities and, and what they should do and not do. So it's so much fun. So much work goes into it. Like if you think a TV broadcast is, you know, loaded with people. Same for a video game. It might not be a live broadcast, but holy moly, they've got producers, they've got outlines, they've got, you know, hours of hard work that go in, go into each recording session. And it was so rewarding. And to be able to thrive on something that someone knocked me on all those years ago, it does feel nice. It feels really nice. And it's kind of something that I hope if any people are listening right now, lean into it, especially if someone made you feel self-conscious about something maybe maybe they're jealous <laughs> maybe you got something they don't you know that's that's very those are all very very good points and I agree with that and that's really cool that's really cool we'll all have to go and uh listen to the game because that's amazing what a fun amazing thing and, and congratulations on being the first female broadcaster in the game that's just really awesome thank you so much First of many I hope let's keep it going right yes. no more first yes exactly no first. we would love first of many <laughs> Before we move into five fun facts, I was hoping that you could start by taking us through a day in the life of Carlin Bathe. So uh, each day differs. I can give you a broadcast day and then I can. Okay, let's do a broadcast day. So broadcast day for the Kings would start usually the day before because I live in Orange County. Getting to morning skate isn't as simple as it is for some people. So I try to attend the practice the day before and get all my stories and quotes. And you would attend a practice, watch the skating session, see what the players are working on, see if they run any line rushes or line changes. You're keeping an eye on who is on the ice that maybe wasn't there before, who Uh is off the ice, who could be rehabbing that day. And that's where you can kind of start writing your question. So if I notice, hey, Drew Doughty's not here, I've got to ask the coach about it. That already is going to be a talking point. It's more, it's like an investigative reporter um, type of time, right? You're just kind of sitting there taking in everything and watching um, what, and get gathering things so you could hopefully talk about them later on. So then after that, you would go into the media availability time and wait for the public relations person to bring out the head coach and 
one to two players. This also happens on a morning skate day, but I'm just going off of a practice day. So they would bring them in and you get about five to 10 minutes with each of those people in a scrum style. So when I say scrum, that means I'm not the only person there. There's multitude of writers, other broadcasters, usually our producer is there as well. And you ask a couple questions. You've got to have your scrum etiquette. So kind of, again, we're going back to reading the room. Don't jump up there if it's a if it's a bad day. You notice Drew Doughty's not out there. Maybe it's a big injury. That's one of their top defensemen. You don't want to jump in with the brightest of attitudes and be like, hey, Coach Tom McClellan, could you tell us why Drew Doughty was not on the ice today? Mm-hmm. It's not a lighthearted question. That's a, a question you want to keep a nice even keel tone to and maybe ask, um, hey, Todd, I referred to everybody by their first names as, as um, um, that's just how I do it. But, you know, hey, Todd, um, any status update on Drew Doughty was today a maintenance day. You can kind of keep it at that. And hopefully he gives you some intel and you can go from there. If if there's no stories regarding players that were on or off the ice, then you start preparing for maybe the team that's coming through. So say the Anaheim Ducks or who we're playing, you talk about the opponent, you gather your intel that in that way. You can also pick off of other things that may be excelling, not excelling for the team. Maybe the power play is clicking. Let's ask about that. Maybe the penalty kill, not so much. Let's ask about that. Then it's all about formulating your stories. I can do that that day or the next day and prepping for two to three in-game hits and between one and three player interviews. So you kind of get that prep going. You talk to your producer. You talk to your pregame producer and your game producer. It's two different people. And discuss the topics and the themes of what they're going for and how your stories can support. So on an actual game day, I get those stories ready. I've got everything written down. I love to use my phone for notes. I can send notes. I can copy and paste. I can text people my notes. That's kind of my 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 little Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, I have my black notebook as well. That's kind of got my stream of consciousness, I call it. If anybody else picked it up, I don't know about you, Tracy, but you probably wouldn't understand a darn thing, but I would read it and understand it all. <laughs> so- I always say that about my notebook that thousands of years from now, people are going to pick it up and be like, what was this girl talking about? Like number five, complete to number 85 and practice this, like whatever, all the things. And it's so funny. Um, But you understand it. And that's all that's important. Exactly. As long as you've got a system and you know what you're saying and you can reference it later. Boom. There you go. So everything goes in the notebook. Everything goes in my phone. And then I'll arrive around, say it's a 730 game. I'll arrive between 345 and 445, depending on the first player interview of the day. And that's called an arrival interview. And I meet up with our camera operator, usually a stage manager or a light technician. And those are the people that you want to get close to as well, because you're not just there on camera by accident. You're there and on camera because of the hard work of everybody else working around you. So mm-hmm. I'm super tight with Ed Lewis, our camera operator. We've got Amari, our lighting technician. Like these are my go-to people. I get there. It's all about catching up with them, seeing how they're doing, and then getting prepared and being ready when the player comes through. My advice there, if you like to do that sort of thing and want to establish relationships, get there early. You know, mm-hmm. have that 15 minutes to decompress chat with your people and wait for your player. Player rolls through. It's three to four questions. And 
These are called live to tape interviews where when you're seeing it in the show, it looks live because I'll take it from Patrick and toss it back to Patrick. So in my interview, maybe three hours before the show even starts, I'm going, thanks so much, Patrick. Adrian, let's talk about XYZ. At the end, I go, Patrick, back to you. So that's <laughs> the magic of TV. And um, once that's complete, I've got a few hours. Pre-game would start a half an hour before game time, 7.30 p.m. game. We would have a 7 p.m. pre-game. And if I have a live hit, I would get set and prepared for that. Um, my When I'm reporting, my position is rinkside. I will have all of my reports prepared for those potential hits. And they can come to you at any time. They can come to you um, in the first period. You have a rough outline, so it's not so random because you want to be in your spot. But, you know, first period, second TV timeout, and they can come to you with something, but you've got to be prepared to change. So even though I've got my stories ready for that day, I've got a backlog of stories as well, because say if Adrian Kempe does something stellar, but I had a story about Drew Doughty and Drew Doughty is not performing well that night, I can switch on a beat and hopefully talk about something else that's more relevant. So be over-prepared and you will be, you'll be surprised. Like it'll, it'll work out better for you if you're over-prepared. And then the game just kind of progresses. I have a intermission interview. Usually if the team is up, then I'll have a post game coach interview, a player. And if they win an additional player and that's kind of it. Once the game starts, it's just all about utilizing your prep and it's different every time. It, sometimes it doesn't go to plan. Sometimes it goes perfectly to plan. Sometimes you change completely and you have to come up with something that you've never had prepared, but something so crazy happened in game, you've got to figure out how to report on it then and adjust accordingly. Fantastic. That was very that was very helpful and I think very helpful for our listeners who you were know, looking into this kind of work and what it is like and it doesn't just start it's like the game starts and there you are. Like there's so much right. preparation that goes into it before, during, and after. So I appreciate that. Carlin, thank you so much for this today. This has been awesome. Thank you, Tracy. I really appreciate this. I hope somebody learned something. And if you didn't, reach out. I hope I can I hope I can um help others along the way because I know that's what you're all about. And it's it's so great to see your network of people be able to benefit from the things that you teach them, especially on this podcast. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. But I cannot let you go yet because first we have to do five fun facts, which is something I started doing with the 49ers players. And it's been fun. We do it on my iPhone. It's very casual. It's an opportunity for them to share things about themselves that people would not otherwise know. But on this podcast, we ask everybody the same five questions every week. So if you're ready, we'll do, oh boy. We'll do five fun <laughs> facts with Carlin Babe. Let's do it. Carla, what is your favorite moment in sports? Favorite moment in sports. I've got two. It's a tie. And I know it's cheating, but the Kings winning the Stanley Cup in 2012 and again in 2014, both on home ice. It was incredible. The two, 2012 was their first ever Stanley Cup. The 2014, they clinched it in double overtime with a goal by Alec Martinez. And I just about fainted and fell on the floor. Amazing. It was so incredible. So those two moments, hard to top. Haven't been topped yet. I'll always get chills talking about them. That's amazing. What is your life motto? My life motto comes from my mom. It's treat people how you want to be treated. And I think everybody can take a little bit of that into their own lives. And also 
flipping it a little bit to treat people how they want to be treated. I kind of think that's the new rendition of that old motto. And you can combine the both and have a pretty decent, complete life motto there. What is your go-to workout? My go-to workout? You're (laughs) going to be disappointed with me because I know you like working out. (laughs) I am terrible at finding ways to exercise. So I'm open to suggestions. But back in the day when I loved working out, okay, other than like pickup hockey, right? I don't consider that a workout. That's Mm -hmm. just like a fun recreational thing. I loved Soul Cycle. I got addicted Ah. to Soul Cycle at one point in time. And a, a good spin class with a good soundtrack. We've got a Peloton at the house um, that I should probably use a little bit more. But a good spin class with a good soundtrack can be thrilling and kind of like a little bit of a therapy session too. So yeah, oh, those absolutely. Those are so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. Well, if you're ever looking for workout suggestions, I'll tell you my two favorites right now. Please. Are Bar Method and Pilates. So okay, you got it. Those are Those are two that I absolutely love. And I think you would like them because you do feel really good after. And there's something about both of them that you can like get yourself up to do them because you just, you feel good after. So that's what I want to feel. Yeah. I feel like crap after exercise. I don't want to feel like that. No, no, you, I think you'd feel real good. So I think give them a shot and report back and and let me know what you think. What is your go-to coffee order? My go-to coffee order is all black. Everything doesn't matter if it's hot, cold, anything. It's literally just black coffee. I put nothing in it. My dad is the same way. I got it from him. It's bitter. It's delicious. Sometimes I literally like flinch (laughs) (laughs) when I'm down in it, but it's my go-to and it's the easiest too, because I've got a couple different allergies. So I know nothing's in there and I'm good with it. What is a book every woman should read? Listen, ladies, I, again, these, these questions when I was, I I knew they were coming, Tracy. And I was like, (laughs) oh God, I am the worst person to ask. I don't read books often enough and I can't remember the last one I completed. And podcasts though, love them to death. Okay. Listen to every podcast under the sun. I love the Harry Potter series and that was all I could come up with. Well, you know what? If you love it, I think that's great. Why don't you share with us one of your favorite podcasts? So favorite podcast, I, I'm a big murder podcast okay, listener, but I, I think I'm trying to, okay, hold on. I'm going to my library right now. I'm going to my library right now. Obviously the Gary V audio experience, anything Gary V puts out phenomenal. Okay. And then also Megan Trainer and Ryan Trainer. Okay. Um, Megan Trainer's a musician. Ryan mm-hmm. Trainer's her brother and a friend of mine who we've streamed together on Twitch. He's in the video game world. He kicks butt. He's just so great. And Megan Trainer, obviously, pop star, so awesome. They've got such an amazing brother sister dynamic, and they have a podcast called Working on It, and it's just so much fun. They have a different theme each week where they're working on anxiety, they're working on uh, sobriety, they're working on exercise. You know, it's all kinds of different topics. And it's just fun. Like it sounds like you're listening to two best friends, which they are chat about life. And it's delightful. So those two would be awesome. And then, um, yeah, literally I've, I feel like I've listened to every murder podcast in the world. (laughs) I'm I'm a big fan of that too, but I'm going to check out that Megan Trainer, Ryan Trainer one. That sounds fantastic. So thank you for sharing that with us. You got it. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Carlin. And if you guys like what you heard, and I know that you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review 
and follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. And with that, I'll talk to everybody next time. Bye, all. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.